12 to 15. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the resident alien in your towns so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him or his companions to eat only for the priests. Have you not read in the law that, uh, that, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ.
Would you pray with me? Our gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you now and we ask that you would meet us in this moment. We're carrying into this room all sorts of stories, all sorts of experiences, all sorts of thoughts and feelings and worries and fears and distractions, and yet we pray that you would meet each and every one of us right where we are with exactly what we need. And as we come feeling like we're pulled in a thousand different directions, may we hear your voice through these words of your son, Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. May we hear that invitation, and would you give us grace to actually take you up on it, to actually come and to actually receive the rest you give. Now meet us in this time and bless us as we consider your scriptures this morning and do a work within us so that we would become different in a good way by your grace at work in our lives. Through Jesus Christ we pray, amen. So today is the first Sunday in Lent and we're beginning a new sermon series for the season on spiritual practices. And one of the reasons we're doing that is because we believe here at Resurrection that God is at work among us and that we are more than just brains on sticks. We are whole persons. And that while insights are good and important and encounters with God are good and important, Ultimately, we are formed more by the rhythms and habits, the choices that we make, the patterns that we live, the things we do with our hands and our feet and our calendars and our wallets. We're formed through those things more than we are through what we think. And of course, the thinking part's important. Of course, the believing part is important. Of course, the encounter, we're here to meet the living God. We're not just going through religious rituals. All of these things are part of a larger whole in which God is doing a great work of making all things new in his son, Jesus Christ, and the activity of his spirit. And so we believe that there are certain practices that we can take up that put us in the way of the current of the spirit that help us get caught up in the flow of God's work in the world to help us participate in what God is doing. Because whether we are intentional about it or not, our lives are shaped by what the ancients might have called a rule of life. That rule isn't like rules, like, like commands, it's rule in the old Latin sense, regula, which means trellis. And if you picture a trellis on which a, a, a vine might grow, the trellis trains the growth of an organic thing in a particular direction, right? And so the rule of life, as it has been understood throughout the centuries of Christians who want to practice imitation of Christ, the rule of life is a set of commitments or practices that, the, that Christians will take on as a kind of trellis because we believe that these practices, as it were, form the trellis on which the Christ-like life can grow. It's not that the doing it makes it happen. It's not that input leads to output. You can't make faith. Only God does that, right? 
but rather it's recognizing that our God who is our maker, our God who is our remaker in Jesus and the Spirit, works through the ordinary means of the stuff of our life and the choices that we make. And so the question for us then is those who desire to be changed by God's grace, those who desire to grow up more and more to be like Jesus, to be with Jesus and to do what he did and to be like him, and maybe to have a similar kind of effect on the people around us that the effect of Jesus's life had. The question then is like, okay, what should we do? What should we do? And we're just gonna focus this Lent on several answers to that question, what should we do? What could we do? And the point of this is not to add a burden to your life. The point is not to draw attention to the gap between what you and I do and where we maybe could be or ought to be, right? This is not the tyranny of the oughts looking to pile upon you a bunch of you should be, you ought to be doing. Rather, what I'm hopeful that we'll hear over this Lenten season is the invitation of God to go deeper and some reflections that will even help us who want to go deeper know what might be a next step that we could take to go a little bit deeper with Jesus, to experience a little bit more of his transformative grace and work in our lives. And what's important probably to say at the outset is that God has done everything in Jesus, everything that is needed for there to be a good and right relationship between you and God and between you and your neighbor and between you and the world. God has done everything in Jesus. He has entered into this world as one of us to live with us, to bind himself to us in our sinfulness, in our mortality, in our frailty, in our selfishness, in our weakness. He has bound himself to us right where we are because of love. He has lived in solidarity with us as a human being in this world, subject to all of its vulnerabilities and tragedies. He's lived in the world as one of us, like one of us, with us. And it crushed him too. He died under the weight of the brokenness of this world as a human being with us. And God raised him from the dead and gave him the name that is above every name and enthroned him in heaven and sent us his spirit to join us with him so that what's true of Jesus becomes true of us. Our destination is his destination entirely because of what he has done, not because of what we do. So the point of the spiritual practices is not to climb some ladder of spiritual holiness or anything like that. There is no ladder. God has come all the way down to us and he raises us with him. We don't climb up to him, okay? And so these are not burdens. These are not things that must be accomplished for you to have some sort of right standing at all. Rather, the practices that we're going to focus on are the practices that we believe Jesus has modeled for us in the world and invites us to take up in our own lives that help us access in our bodies the grace of God that we can believe in our brains very easily and yet live detached from so easily as we live lives that are ruled by other schedules, right? Ruled by other goals, other powers, 
other people's goals for us, other institutional realities or structures that call forth from us certain kinds of obligations or put upon us certain kinds of limitations. And these practices instead are designed to get us out from under the thumb of a bodily, daily, weekly lived experience of being under the powers and principalities of this world, to use New Testament weird language, and to actually settle ourselves under the Lordship of Christ so that what we're doing with our hands and feet and attention and calendars is first and foremost flowing out from our receiving and resting upon Jesus, allowing that invitation to rest, to become real in our lives. Where in your life are you weary? Is exhaustion an experience that you know personally? If you're saying no to that question, please find me at coffee hour. (laughs) Exhaustion is so ingrained in our normal as 21st century Westerners with smartphones and working in jobs whose playbook is entirely determined by profit and power. We are human beings living in a system that dehumanizes each and every one of us constantly. And it is utterly exhausting. We're finite people living in a world that calls forth from us attention to everything, everywhere, always. And it is exhausting. And it is probably exhausting in an unprecedented way. I'm no social historian. I can't say that with any kind of real authority, but other people say things like that, and I read their, what they write, you know. We're living in a weird time. We're living in a time where it's hard to be a humble, limited human being. And so to practice being one actually feels like swimming upstream against a raging current. Kind of because it is. But what we discover in Jesus, who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What we begin to discover is that the rest that we so deeply need, the antidote and the answer to our exhaustion that we so deeply need, is not something that God has just left up to us to somehow carve out of the raw material of our American life, but rather it is a gift that he's given us to receive by God's grace. In fact, it's something he's woven into the very fabric of how creation works and how God's people are designed to work and called to work and to live in relation to God and all of the things. And so Sabbath becomes a practice that we can take on, an invitation, if you will, to allow a different vision for humanity to shape what we do with our calendar. And not just our calendar, but actually like the things that we do inside of the space blocked off with our calendars. And that's what I want us to think about today is this practice of Sabbath. Leslie Newbegin, whom we quote often here, um, missiologist, 
pastor, served in the Church of England over in India for over 40 years. He observes we are shaped by what we attend to, right? Where is your attention? And how can we shift our attention maybe from all of the things that want to hijack our attention and our effort and our energy and our loyalty? How can we shift our attention to this Jesus who says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So Sabbath. What are we talking about? Is this, are we talking about a rule? Are we talking about an obligation that we have to keep? Are we talking about self-care? What is this thing that we're talking about? And let's put the rule obligation part of it aside because that's like a whole other conversation. The, the point of what we're here to talk about today is the, the invitation and the gift of Sabbath. That God invites us to have a reset and to build a life that is an outflow of how he's made us to live in the world. And also, I think I want to, it's, it's, it's helpful to put a pin in the self-care piece too, which while self-care is good and important, and, and, and there's, a, there's a wellness culture in our day-to-day, which is probably a helpful corrective to the hustle culture that can be so dehumanizing, right? There's, there's more to Sabbath than self-care. So when you picture Sabbath, like what is your mental picture? Is it like the Instagram photo of the person in the, like the yoga clothes at the top of the Grand Canyon with like hashtag self-care alone, right? Like that's a good thing to do. I love doing stuff like that. I don't own yoga clothes, but like I do love the sort of be in nature, be connected, be absolutely, 100%. That should be maybe like the starting point for us for thinking through and then what is Sabbath beyond that? rather than reducing Sabbath to some sort of Christianized version of a day off, right? There's a deeper invitation. There's a deeper recalibration toward God. There's a deeper recalibration toward your creatureliness and your belovedness as a child of God that is part of the gift that's given to us in Sabbath. This is about living into the freedom that is yours in Christ and experiencing the reintegration of yourself that happens when you, begin to, when you begin to surrender all of your anxious toils into the hands of Jesus. So this text that we just read from the Gospel of Matthew, admittedly, this passage isn't directly about the positive use of Sabbath in our lives. That's not like the goal. It's not here to instruct us in like, here's what you do with Sabbath. It's more of a rethinking of where Jesus is, is navigating this religious landscape and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day who had their own conceptions of what Sabbath is, what it requires of us and all that. And Jesus, um, who is incredibly agile and incredibly wise, is able to interact with them in a way that is far more interesting and complex than we have really time to even get into today, because I really want us to think through the practical piece more than just get lost in the contextual piece. But we'll come back, hopefully, to a little bit of that. But I think what Jesus is saying or implying directly in this passage is that he's, he's God's anointed person in whom God has planted the divine life in the earth. That Jesus is also what God is like, right? 
that Jesus himself is the way that we can know and experience God today and that our present experience of life with God in the earth is attached to this future moment when God is gonna make all things new, bring the story to completion, the story of reconciliation and restoration that God enacts in Jesus and calls us to enact together as we imitate him. And so Sabbath is this practice by which we surrender our allegiance to all the other various things to which we attach our hopes and dreams so that we can rest in Christ. Everyone can acknowledge the value of self-care or the value of a balanced life And Sabbath is certainly about that to some extent, but it's about more than that because it's about realizing Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Thomas Merton, the Catholic mystic, has a beautiful saying where he said, you know, so many spend their lives climbing the ladder of success only to realize at the end that the whole time it was leaning against the wrong wall. Sabbath isn't a different ladder to climb. It's a reorientation to the world that's based on freedom, not anxiety. The passage that we read from Deuteronomy earlier comes from an era, right, when God's people had experienced liberation from enslavement in Egypt. And Sabbath is given, re-given in this moment to remind them that they are the ones whom God has redeemed, liberated brought out from under the iron fist of Pharaoh to belong to the Lord. And so those who were previously not owners of their own time because they were slaves, now liberated in the Lord, are to practice their freedom by ordering their week around his design, his calling to live one day in seven as set apart and dedicated wholly unto the Lord. One in seven, a one and then six rhythm for life. Just think about that for a minute. What is one of the reasons that embracing a practice of Sabbath is so difficult? Well, It's one-seventh of your life. It's a lot. I remember talking with a friend of mine who was a newlywed, young guy, didn't have much money, but he and his wife decided to focus on one big expense. Like they wanted one thing that would be like the nicest of the nice uh, because they could afford maybe one good thing and they chose to get the best possible bed that they could. It's like, that's interesting, why? It's like, because you spend a third of your life in it. It's like, what else, what else do you have that really checks that box? Like, that's a good point. And I followed suit. When I could, I got the best bed I could, and I'm very glad I did. It's, it is actually a life-changing thing when you realize that that is so much of your own lived experience spent there that the way you create that space actually really, really matters, right? So Sabbath, if, it were, if we were to engage in this, if we were to take up a practice of Sabbath, what we're talking about is making a fundamental shift to one in seven days where the, the day becomes unique and it's set apart wholly unto the Lord 
where we stop from our accomplishments, we stop from our creating, our vocation, our achieving. We stop from the things that define the other six days in order to make space for being completely creature and not creative accomplisher. To be reordered in relationship to God, to be grounded in his love in such a way that the, the things that vie for our attention the rest of the week are, are put away and space is created for our attention to really be on the Lord, his goodness, and the kind of replenishing rest that Jesus offers to us in him. Marva Dawn, in her book on Sabbath, sees four movements or four, or four dynamics to what it looks like for us to engage in a practice of Sabbath. The first is ceasing, stopping our work on purpose, ceasing from the ways that we live anxiously or possessively. The second, the second dynamic is resting, which she would say is physical and mental rest. It's spiritual refreshment. The third dynamic would be embracing, actually embracing our limits as human beings, embracing intentionality, embracing giving or our, our calling in the world to be lovers of neighbor and lovers of God. And then feasting. The Sabbath becomes a feast day where we actually give ourselves a day to uniquely celebrate the good gifts that God gives. I've been listening to um, the Practicing the Way podcast with uh, John Mark Comer and friends, and I've been, I've been beginning to use that resource and commend it to you. I know Scott has sent that to community group leaders and all, we're trying that on and certain groups are taking that up. Um, got a group of guys that meet once a month where we're taking on the fasting one together and, and, and doing that practice. But essentially it's a resource for the church that introduces spiritual practices in a really doable and accessible way. It's all free, um, but the one on Sabbath, and there's a podcast that goes with it, um, they structure theirs around also four dynamics, stop, rest, delight, worship. It's really fascinating. And the stopping part is really, when you think about just what it takes to stop, you have to prepare for six days in order to stop for one, right? You can't just stop because your world is built where people will contact you or there's certain things that are scheduled for you, right? And so to stop one day in seven actually takes a lot of intentionality, preparation, and commitment. You have to really believe that this is a good thing to do in order to even try doing it, right? So the stopping piece is important. Then the resting piece is fascinating because they talk about rest as an act of resistance right? Rest as an act of resistance. In a world where burnout feels like a rite of passage in the working world, rest is an act of resistance. God has created you to be a human being, not an optimized product, right? Yet we live in a world that's constantly feeding us these ideas about how do you become your best self? Be as unhuman as you can be. But no, you have a creator who's designed you to be a person, 
a limited person, in relationship with other limited people, in relationship to your living God, built for a world that rests one day in seven. And the rest is built in, like even the original vision for Sabbath for God's people was designed to give the animals rest in an agrarian society, right? And it was designed for justice as well. The whole vision around resting as a people was to have a, have an, a moment to exhale, have a moment to share the goods, to have, have done enough things to where it's all done and you can actually share and everyone can have enough. One of the challenges for the church today is what, how can we even take this up in a world in which Sabbath is so opposite of the way our structures of the world are built? How could we even do this? And is this something that's only available to the wealthiest people who aren't working three jobs to try to make ends meet? What, what about the person for whom I feel like my, I'm not the owner of my time? I'm just trying to like put food on the table, you know, keep a roof over my kid's head and whatnot. So I'm working three hourly shift jobs. Sabbath is like a ridiculous pipe dream. What would it look like for the church to enter that calling of saying, well, how do we become a, a community that creates a Sabbath world where everyone can have access to it? Where the economics of our life together get shifted and we learn to share in such a way that rest isn't a privilege for the wealthy, but we make it to where it's something we can do together as equals, all of us as a family, ordering our life around Jesus to do what he did. I don't have a clean answer to that question, but as an aspiration, I think these are the kinds of longings in our heart we need to be nurturing. How do we become a community of Sabbath rest where everyone can find rest here? Even the ones who couldn't afford it if we weren't doing it differently. That's an aspiration I think we should pray toward and work toward as we believe that God's calling us to become more and more of a Sabbath people. And then delighting. It's not just stopping and resting, but actually delighting. Like one of the things that's an obstacle about practicing Sabbath is it sounds dull. You know, it's like if, if I told my kids, like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start practicing Sabbath. We're going to stop doing all the things that we normally do. It'd be like, oh, great. That one day a week where we can't watch TV shows or we can't, you know, where we stop from this and we cease from that and we put off this. But when the stopping the other things, that red light becomes a green light for the best things, that might be an indicator that we're starting to put our finger on what this design of Sabbath is about. It should be the day we all look forward to. It should be the best day of the week. So how do we delight in the things that are so good and, and tap into our deepest longings, the best things, so that our rest becomes the replenishing rest and not the depleting binge rest of I'm exhausted, so give me the Netflix. I'm going to watch 10 episodes of whatever, right? Give me a bottle of wine and a good movie, I'm gonna check out because I'm exhausted, let's check out. And then you wake up tomorrow as tired as you were at the beginning of your Netflix binge. We binge work, we binge rest because we're on this sort of autopilot of I'm exhausted, but then I don't wanna do anything, I'm exhausted, I don't wanna do anything. That's a hamster wheel. And Jesus invites us off of it, say actually, why don't you unplug 
from the exhaustion, the exhaustion and exhausting things, but plug into me. And by plugging into Jesus, I don't think that means just like be at church all day or sit around reading the Bible all day. Those might be good components of your Sabbath, but Jesus is also the one who gives all of the good gifts. Jesus is also the one who has made the beautiful Wissahickon and might meet you there on the trail. Jesus is also the one who has given you your delightful friends, especially the ones who are easy for you, right? The ones that were just, it's just natural. It's a replenishing time. Jesus is the one who's given you the food and the beverage and the good gifts and might give you the gift of cooking together, of having some special thing that you look forward to, what would it look like for you to delight intentionally one day in seven in a way that you just can't on the other days? That's where we're starting to practice Sabbath, I think. Stop, rest, delight, and then worship. These are the four I'm getting from practicing the way. And that worship piece is important because otherwise it's this could easily devolve into like Sabbath as me time, right? Sabbath as the me time, me getting what I need. And we should absolutely be attentive to our desires and our emotions. Those are important parts of who we are. And God gives us those things. Those are, those are good things. And also, Sabbath is given by God, not generated by us, right? God calls forth from us worship and reconnection. God calls forth from us that attention to the giver of the good gifts where when we're resting, when we're delighting, that it's not purely like me trying to think about what do I need and then go get it, but actually as a community, practicing together, kind of resting in God, being recalibrated by his vision of the world, being renewed through real life-giving participation in the good stuff. So that when we begin the next six days, we're actually rested. We're fresh. We're ready to work. We're excited about the next six and the creative capacity we're going to bring to that, the effort that we'll bring to that, the productivity we might bring to that as integrated, whole, restored people. The poet David White tells the story of a life-changing conversation uh, that he had with his, his friend, uh, brother David Stendhal Rost, who's a monk and a spiritual director. And White asked brother Rost about exhaustion. And he said this, brother Rost said this, the antidote to exhaustion is not necessarily rest, it's wholeheartedness. Because what exhausts us isn't effort, as much as it is fragmentation of ourselves. It's when you feel like you're being pulled in different directions or you're not the same person in all of the places where you go or it feels like the things I value over here compete with the things I value over here and I don't know how to you know, balance the work and the life and the family and the stuff and I'm being pulled in this way and that way and like I wanna be at my kid's baseball practice but I've got a nighttime meeting and, I've, and we're feeling frayed because we're trying to live too many lives at once and they're not integrated. 
Sabbath becomes an invitation from the Lord to be renewed as an integrated self in oneness with God and then deployed with God into the world the other days. And it takes a lot of intentionality to create that kind of space. But I think that is the invitation to us. Tish Harrison Warren wonders, what if Christians were known as a countercultural community of the well-rested? People who embrace our limits with zest and even joy. Can you imagine if that's what Christians were known for? Not for being the loudest opponents of the things we stand against, or not for being weird in an off-putting way, but we're the ones who show up as the well-rested, the ones who are able to keep eye contact and be attentive because we're not distracted by all the things or hungover or just like so scattered that we can't stop looking past you to the more interesting person who might come through the room. Can you imagine if we were known for being attentive and grounded and present and well-rested? I want to feel that way and be known for that as an individual, but could you imagine if we communally, if this was like our witness in the world, is we're the people who pay attention well because we've actually rested well. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Learn from me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's so much we could say there about how Jesus is contrasting what he's doing spiritually with what the Pharisees are doing religiously and all this stuff. There's a, there's a way in which that yoke, the yoke of the law, the yoke of Jesus, there's a whole thing. We could go into this for a long, long time, but we won't, don't worry. Jesus is doing something different than just like organized religion. He's doing something that is deep and beautiful and powerful. And it is the very life of God walking in the world in our midst. And he's saying, come to me and I will share that with you. Just come along with me. Be with me. Imitate me. Follow me. I will take you into the deep waters. But even as he gives that invitation, he's flagging how countercultural it is. He's flagging how much resistance there's going to be to that because it's going against the grain of the institutional power of the day. Just as for us to even think about taking steps toward being a Sabbath people is going to call us to rethink everything about how we order our time and who gets to determine that. Your boss, right? The sports schedule, all the things, the extracurriculars the social schedule, when your friends say it's time to go out. All, like all of the things, like all of the different things we're all involved in. And I'm not trying to draw a straight line between Sabbath and what you ought to do with any of those things. I'm just saying, as we bring all of this to the feet of Jesus and say, let me follow you into the deep waters, everything might change. Because to follow him and to live under his lordship is to go against the grain of a world that's ruled by a very different set of principalities and powers. And so it'll be, it'll be hard. And I think we have to expect friction, which is exactly why most of us probably won't do it. 
But the invitation of Jesus is to say, oh, no, 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 no. It is hard, but it's worth it. Because the journey upstream, the journey against the grain, the journey that I'm leading you on, it leads to life. It leads to eternal life. And you can taste and see the goodness of it even today if you just come to me and receive my rest. May God give us grace to be a Sabbath people in union and communion with our Sabbathing Lord Jesus. Let's pray to him now. Our God, you have made us fearfully and wonderfully you have made us. And we admit that we don't fully understand all that that means. And I pray that today we would hear your voice. I pray that today we would hear your gentle, powerful invitation to come to you. And I pray that you would help us with all of the ways that we're carrying baggage and we're burned out, we're weary. We're carrying sorrows and scars. We're carrying obligations, dread. There are so many things that weary us. Would you pierce through all of those things and enable us to hear you and give us what we need to follow you so that we might take those difficult steps of embarking with you on that journey so that we might also with you taste and see your goodness at the feast that you set on that path. As we come to your table, would you strengthen us and give us courage and faith to take those next steps? And would you send us out into the world refilled with the life of God through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.